we prepare for many things in our lives. As I was growing up, I thought about what it would be like to have kids one day. I thought about what it would be like to be married. I thought about and planned and daydreamed about what it would like to be a police officer. There are lots of things that I thought about and planned for. Some of them came to fruition, others didn't. And some of those things that I thought about and planned for happened the way that I thought they would, and many of them didn't. I never, ever, ever planned on being a pastor. Didn't dislike pastors, just never thought it would be me. (laughs) And interestingly, when the Lord called me to preach in 2012, I thought a lot about what it would be like. And some of it's been accurate and some of it hasn't been. But again, I did that for a number of years, preaching at many different churches around the country. And then when I walked through your doors, I was still dead set on never being a pastor. And God changed my mind on that. And I began suddenly thinking about the things that would come as a result of this. Expectations. <laughs> not always met the way you think. That sounds negative. I'm not, I'm not being negative. I really am not. One of the things that I never, ever thought about until I got a phone call from Vivian was funerals. Never thought through that. And I remember after your dad had passed, and we drove to the graveside, Mike was in the car with me, and it suddenly came over me in a way I never expected. How many of these will I do? Man. Still remember that day. Very vividly. 2021 has been an interesting year. After this coming Tuesday, I will have been involved in six funerals this year. Sister Emma passed away in April. Ruth, husband of George, who I'll perform the services for this Tuesday, passed away in June. On the fifth, well, we had the service on the 15th. Sister Beulah, we had her service on the 19th. Brother Jim's was August 7th. And Ethan Taylor a few weeks ago, a few days ago. And it's really set me to thinking a lot about death. And I'd say many of us have probably thought more about it this year than many others. There's probably several reasons for that. We've had several very unexpected passings within our congregation. But we've also just seen a lot more of it in life, haven't we? I don't know what the numbers are this year. It's a little late to, well, early to find out. But, you know, in 2020, despite everything that went on with COVID, we had a little bit less average number of deaths in this country than normal. But they were a lot more publicized, weren't they? A lot more aware, seemingly a lot more tragic. 
And so perhaps we're focusing on deaths a little bit more than we have in the past, whether they're really increasing or not, it's a little too early to say, but we certainly think of them more often, but not more often than we used to. Back in the day, if I can borrow that phrase, death was just a part of life, wasn't it? Both for animals, right? You had to hunt to eat. It's the way it was. And even when someone in your family or close relative passed away, you were there. And you don't have to go back too many years. And in very often in parts of the country, the kitchen table would give way to the place where you would take care of your loved one and then lay them to rest a short distance away. We were very close to death. It was a part of who we were. We've moved away from that. We're very removed from it. And I think, as I said in my opening comments, I think sometimes our culture fails to forget there's one thing that's guaranteed in life. You're going to die. I'm not saying that to draw emotion. I'm not saying that to be hyperbolic. I'm saying that in reality, all of us will die without exception. So that brings us to a question that I think our ancestors who experienced and faced death on a more regular basis and who had more of a faith than probably we have as a wider culture could probably answer. Here's the question. What happens after we die? What happens? The scripture teaches, and I believe, that there is a literal heaven and hell. This is not a fanciful story made up. This is not something we tell young children, oh, you could go to hell to scare them to be good people. This is not something we just gently tell everyone as they're about to cross from one life to the next. Oh, there's a better, there's a heaven, which seems to be what we, when we talk about heaven, that seems to be what we say today. I believe that there is a literal heaven and a literal hell, which means that when this body is done, when this physical life is over, the spirit that makes up who I really am goes on to one of two places, either to heaven or to hell. There's no in between. There's no lag time between one or the other. To be absent from the body, the scripture tells us, is to be present with the Lord. And I believe the opposite is true. To be absent from the body, if you do not know the Lord, means to be completely absent from Him and in hell. Ecclesiastes remind us, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to the God who gave it. We are here for a short period of time, and then we will go one of two places. Those of us who have been saved, those of us who know the Lord, those of us who have been redeemed and forgiven of our sins, God gives us eternal life and an existence in what I believe is heaven that is so amazing. The scriptures tell us no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I've seen some really beautiful things. I've imagined some very beautiful things. And the scripture tells us that whatever level that I have an imagination of, 
Whatever emotions or beauty I thought when I saw this amazing sunrise or sunset in a picturesque area is nothing compared to what God has prepared for those who love him. That is heaven. It is real. Our spirits will go there if you are saved. 1 John 5, 12, and you'll have to try and keep up today. I'm going to do a lot of verse quoting. 1 John 5 and 12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see, when we think about what comes after our body dies, when we think about where we go in the future, it all comes down to one thing. It comes down to Jesus Christ. It comes down to His sacrifice for us. Whoever has the Son also has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We can go through existence. We can go through this life. And we may have all types of things that we like and enjoy and get value out of. And those things are okay. But the reality is, if we do not know Jesus Christ, if we do not have the Son of God, then we actually don't have life at least not a life that matters. We've simply gone through the stages and accumulated wealth and power and prestige and happiness and joy and fill in the blank, and it'll all be over. John 17 and 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now you recall that that chapter sometimes title different things, but it's Christ's prayer over us, over the church. It's a beautiful thing to read and to be reminded that when Christ was praying this, he was thinking about me and thinking about you in the time to come. And so he says, and this is eternal life that they know you, talking about us and the Lord, the only true God and Jesus Christ talking about himself whom you have sent. And so if there's any ever concern about whether Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of God, look no further than this verse right here, because he is, and said it multiple times, proclaiming to be as much. If you want to have true life, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to actually live forever, and I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually, if you want to have the reward of heaven, then you must know who? You must know him, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of of God, who a, sh a few short verses and chapters later when he said this, would sacrifice himself for me and for you so that we could live a life with him. And so eternal life, when does it start? When does it start? When you're saved. The moment that you are saved, the moment that you receive forgiveness, that you are redeemed, that you are purchased by the blood of Christ, is the moment that your life actually begins. This is why it's important to know when you were saved. This is why it's important to celebrate that. This is why it's important to be confident in that, because that is when your life begins. You know, we celebrate physical birthdays every year. I think I mentioned this before. Our mutual friend Josh, much to his dismay, I tell him I don't really care about birthdays very much. Mm, but your spiritual birthday is important, isn't it? That's when life begins. 
That's when you finally know the true purpose and the true reason for being here. Now, this eternal life starts when you know Christ and you know God. And this is deeper than an academic knowledge or awareness of him. This is much deeper than just saying, well, I, yeah, I believe in God. I, I've heard about him. It's asking, do you really know him? And this can be a difficult thing for us to ask and should be one that gives us question or pause. Let me read Matthew 7.21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It should really give us pause. Because I can stand here before you today and say that to my knowledge, I've never cast out a demon in Jesus' name. While I have preached, I don't know that I've prophesied in the way that this might mean it. And I don't know that I've done many other mighty works in his name. And so what this is saying, Jesus Christ himself is saying, I don't care if you've cast out demons. I don't care if you've done amazing works in my name. If I don't know you, then the result is not heaven. It is actually the opposite. It is eternal damnation in hell. And we must be very conscious to make sure that we know who Jesus Christ is. Again, not just a head academic knowledge, but actually know him. Actually know him in the free pardon of sin. And if we just assume, it could be very bad. Jesus Christ, he came to earth, lived a perfect life was crushed for our transgressions, was crucified, was actually dead, was buried, and on the third day rose to life, conquering death with my salvation in his hand when he did it. He is seated at the right hand of God, and he is waiting for us. He is interceding on our behalf, and he has sent the Spirit of God to live inside of us. We talked about this last week. And so eternal salvation begins at the moment that we are saved, when the Spirit is set as a seal for us to commune with us, and that Spirit stays with us until we ourselves become a Spirit, move on to heaven, and have perfect interaction with our God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall Yet he live. This is wonderful and good news. And because of that, because of this, going back to my opening, we have hope. And this is what's absent in the world. We don't seem to have purpose. We don't seem to have hope. We don't seem to have any sense that there's anything that matters beyond however many years we have here. And then it just poof, all goes away. We have hope because we know the Lord. John 14 and 19 says, Because I live, you will also live. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15 through 23, and you can read a majority of that chapter if you'd like to on this. It says, Christ, the first fruits, then in his coming, 
those who belong to Christ. You see, Christ is an example of proving us the truth, right? Because Christ died and was resurrected and is seated at the right hand of God. So we who believe will be second to Christ. We will also be reunited with him. He is an example. He is the forerunner. He is, the scripture says, the first fruits of this. God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. 1 Corinthians 6.14 But as I mentioned, there's more than just an afterlife. There's more than just a heaven to look for. I'm afraid we fail to preach this and teach this too many times. We somehow think that we, you know, we get saved and then we get to do whatever we want to and then someday we get to go to heaven. But if the Spirit of God is living inside of you from the moment that you've received Him, and you are a new creature, as the Scripture tells us, and your eternal life begins that day, then there is, in fact, something and multiple things that we are to do for Him, with Him, by Him, and through Him from that moment until we are united with Him. There's something for us to do while we are here. There's more than just a reward in heaven with no end. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but, as many of you can quote, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is, is present tense. It doesn't say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God will someday be eternal life. It says right now. And so if you have been saved by God's grace, if you know him, as the scripture says, then you have eternal life. When? Right now. Oh, it'll be great someday. But we have right now. We are given right now. And that word, talking about eternity, it doesn't just mean the number of years. That word also has a connotation of quality. And we can measure something in multiple ways, one of which is we can count the number of things that can happen, or we can describe what it looks like, what it is, qualitative versus quantitative. And that verse has more than just saying we're going to live forever. It tells us that we will have a better life here a quality that is different and lasting. And now you can say, well, my quality isn't very good. And for some of you, that might be very true. But that quality is a spiritual quality. That's the assurance to know that Jesus Christ died for me. That's the confidence that I have to know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, that regardless of any physical circumstances I have, that I have eternal life that starts now and goes on forever. And that spiritual relationship that I may have with my Lord, that I can pray to him at any time, at any moment, from anywhere I am, using any words or singing or thoughts that I desire, and to know that he hears, that he cares about me, that he listens and will respond to me, is the quality that others are completely missing. Not only will we live forever, but while we are here, our lives will be 
different in quality. And someday, it'll be so different, I can't even imagine it. Eternal life functions outside of time. We can't hardly think that way, because that's all we know. It functions outside of time. Therefore, the eternal life that is frequently spoken about in the Scriptures begins now. It begins when you are saved. John 3, 36, the first part says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. Again, present tense, multiple verses. And so we as believers who know the Lord should focus on our eternal life that we have now and not sit around waiting for heaven. If you know the Lord, if you've been saved, you're moving toward that goal. But if you're listening to me today, you're not there yet. You have an opportunity to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love others as He's commanded. But thus far, I've really been focusing on those who are saved. Those who know the Lord, as I've described. Those who've had an experience of salvation. And now I want to talk for just a minute to those of you who are not. There's a distinction between those who are saved and those who are not. And by that, again, I mean knowing the Lord, have experienced His grace. Daniel 12 and 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Acts 24 and 15 says, I have the same hope in God that these men have, that He will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Here's what the Scripture clearly teaches. Just as those who are saved, who know the Lord, are alive in Christ, you have life eternal at the moment that you are saved. Those who do not know God, who are unsaved, who are dead in your trespasses already. You may think that you're alive, and physically you may be, but your spirit is currently dead and will remain that way and even worse. Because eventually... After you physically die, you will be completely and wholly separated from God. Now, we think we have problems and trials in this world. But the Spirit of God is still here. And as horrible as the things are that go on in this world, the fact that the Spirit of God is here makes it wholly better than if He were entirely absent, which is what hell is. God is not there. His love, His concern, His care, His desire for you is gone. You are being punished because you were wrong. Each person at some point in their life will choose. And hear me out. No choice at all is still a choice. It's very, very important. All of us will die, and all of us will either receive heaven or receive hell. And if you fail to make the choice, then the choice has automatically been made 
for you. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Those who have been made righteous by their faith in Christ will receive an eternal reward that started when you were saved, that will continue in heaven, that we cannot describe, that we cannot understand. Those who reject Christ, whether you actively make the decision or not, those who fail to seek after Him, will be sent to eternal punishment. Now, Matthew 25 and 46 records a little bit about it. It says at least this one verse, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. As I mentioned in my opening, just as much as I believe that heaven is real, I believe that hell is real as well. It's not a story made up to scare children. It's not a story made up to take, make adults behave. It is reality. It is eternal and lasting separation from God. The Bible describes it as a lake of fire where people are tormented day and night, forever. It also describes it as a place with intense grief and anger. And we see this in the accounts we have of the Scripture. The one who was being tormented in much. And he asked for what? One single solitary drop of water. Can you imagine being tormented in so much pain that all you want is just one drop of water? And the second request... Go back and tell my brothers. And the answer was, they had the prophets. Listen to them. Now, I don't stand here today and proclaim to be any more of a prophet than the next person who can read the scriptures. But what I'm telling you today, very plainly and very clearly, is if you do not put your faith in him, if you have not been saved by Him, the same result will come to you, and you are hearing it with your own ears today, and therefore have no excuse. Let me just briefly mention two common objections to this. And there's more than two, and we could go on, but for the sake of time, let me just make sure I explain this. One common objection I hear a lot is somehow there'll be a second chance. Maybe later on, you'll get to experience hell for a little bit, and then you'll get to have a second chance for people explain that. I don't see that in the scripture. I've also heard people say, well, I'm going to live my life however I want to. And, you know, on my deathbed, I'll, I'll, I'll do it then. Well, now listen, I mentioned that there's a choice involved, and I do believe that. In the book that we're studying on Sunday nights, we mentioned that love isn't love if there isn't a choice, if it isn't free, if you don't have the ability to uh, push someone who loves you away, if you don't have the ability to leave, then it isn't really a choice. And so I do believe that there is a choice to follow the Lord, to put your faith in Him, but I am also very strongly of the opinion 
that the Spirit of God has to draw you unto Him. And it is not within your power if you know you're going to die in 30 seconds just to say, you know what, God, I think I believe in you. Save me. When God is dealing in your life, when He is speaking to you, when He reveals to you that you have sinned against Him and He is drawing you, calling you, urging you to go to Him in prayer and to put your faith in Him, that is the time that you need to do it. You cannot just put it off and just choose whenever you want to. I do not believe it works that way. So there is no second chance after you've been in hell for a while to change your mind. And you can't just, you know, suddenly find you're in a car accident and think, well, I feel my last breath leaving me. I think now I'm just going to choose to believe in you. I'm not saying that can't happen, but I'm saying that God is involved in that. That's what I'm saying. Let me tell you the other common objection I hear a lot. This is one that society will throw back in your face all day long. Well, isn't God love? How could a loving God ever send someone to hell? You ever heard that? God is also a lot of other things besides love. None of them interfere with each other, and he is perfection in all of them. So if God is perfect love, and God is perfectly just, does a just person allow a guilty person to go free? No. If you were to have a close friend who was abused, brutally abused over a long period of time, maybe even killed, and they go before the judge, and the judge says, you know what? You are as guilty as guilty can be, but I love you, so I'm going to let you go. We'd all sit here and say, "Uh uh-uh, it doesn't work that way because that is not justice. Justice says if there is bad behavior, punishment should follow. If there is good behavior, then a reward should follow. Here's the thing. We all deserve punishment. None of us have done anything that's good. None of us have lived a righteous life. The scriptures say as much, and all you got to do is look around a little bit and then look back at yourself and realize you are not a good person by our fallen nature. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And so what is a righteous, just judge God to do? Even though he loves you, to punish you. That's not comfortable, is it? I don't like this idea. You know who else doesn't like this idea? God doesn't like this idea. But if he's going to be perfect and loving and just, he must do it. Now, I just said something that may surprise you, so I'm going to read a scripture to back it up. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, so this is God telling Ezekiel, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked, torn from his way in life, turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God is love, which is why he takes no pleasure in your punishment. 
Again, take it back to an earthly example. A just judge, no matter what, doesn't take great pleasure in banging the gavel and sending someone to life imprisonment. Because you know what? Nobody wins in that situation, do they? It doesn't truly make up for the crime that was done in this world, and it can't and it won't. So God doesn't take pleasure in it either. As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. What does, he have? what does he want? But that the wicked would turn from his ways in life. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? That's the same message that he gave to Ezekiel that he can give to us today. O oh, sinner, O oh, lost and undone, why will you die? Why will you risk your life for whatever we have here? Turn away from your sin. Turn back to God. Seek after Him. Why would you die? Why would you choose to go this direction? And as I said a moment ago, the failure to choose is a choice. You either choose Him or unintentionally maybe you're choosing death. Why, oh why, would you choose that? Life is to some degree a preparation for what's to come. And if we live this life and reject Him, then at the end we will be eternally separated from Him. John 13 and 18 says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this belief, just like the, the word knowledge that I read a few minutes ago, is not just a head belief. We get this really confused in our society. Somehow we think, well, yeah, I believe in God. Therefore, it's all okay. Remember what I said a minute ago? You do amazing works and God doesn't know you. You know what else it says? Even the demons believe and are afraid of God. And they're certainly not going to heaven. They're still demons. And they know scripture. They can quote scripture. And they tremble at the presence of God. What's the last time you trembled at the presence of God? Hmm. There's only one way to have eternal life. It's Jesus Christ. The one, the only way to a life that has value now and to one that lasts forever with him in heaven is Jesus Christ. He is the door. He is the way. He is the tower. You fill in the blank over and over and over again in scripture. We see this. He is the resurrection. He is the light. He is the truth. He is the answer. You must know him. I play a little slight little preacher trick on you. I read John 11, verse 25, but I didn't read 26 on purpose. Turn with me if you'd like. John 11, 25. Because there's an important part that I purposely left out until now. If you recall in John 11, we see there's the death of Lazarus. Lazarus was a really 
really good friend, really close friend. And he was really sick. And they called for Jesus to say, come and heal him. And Jesus was delayed. There were other people he had to heal, other things he had to do. So he showed up, as you could say, I'm going to use air quotes here, late. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't really late, but that's what everyone else thought, because Lazarus, Lazarus was dead. And not just a little bit dead, days dead, buried, sealed in a tomb. And of course, his sisters are quite upset. Let me pick up on John 11. I'm going to start with verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Let me just pause there. Why is this important? Well, three days is important. Three, three days dead is beyond question in ancient times. Right? They weren't quite as skilled as we are today, and sometimes they made a mistake. We, we still do this today, okay? But I shouldn't laugh. It's not, I'm not laughing about that. But sometimes we still make mistakes today. Think someone's dead when they're not. But at three days, there was no question. At four days, it was beyond question, and as we'll see in a minute, you're starting to rot. So four days later, he shows up. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary, his sisters, to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Let me pause here for just a second. So we see what's going on here. Christ is coming to the one that he loves, a family that he loves, that he cares deeply about. The brother is dead. And the sister comes and says, in so many terms, if he'd only been here. And he says, your brother will rise again. And she says, exactly what I've told you. I know he will in the last day, at the resurrection. And then he says something really important. Let me start over again in verse 25. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. I am the resurrection. Jesus Christ conquers death. He is the first fruit. He is the one who can overcome death. He is the resurrection and the life, both current for those who know him and are saved and those who are into the future in heaven. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Here's the part I left off. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Have I told you an elaborate fairy tale? 
Have I just passed down lies from centuries upon centuries? Do you believe it? Because just like Jesus said to her, do you believe it? I think he's asking you the same question today. And those who are sitting here who have been saved by God can confidently say yes and amen. Amen means so be it, by the way. Let it be done. Yes and amen. Lord, I believe it with all my heart, with all my strength, and with all my soul that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. And I know who you are and I know you came to save me. I have put my faith in you. I believe in you with all of my heart. I know you and I know that you know me. So yes and amen, Lord Jesus, I believe it. Do you believe this? You don't get a second chance. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, is what the scripture says. And now is the time because eternal life, both now in quality and eventually in quantity forevermore, begins the day that you put your faith in him. Begins when you are saved and it never ends. Failure to choose is a choice. And I'm not saying this as a direct reflection on anyone's body that I've stood over in the last year. So understand this. Because as a pastor, I can only know so much about your heart. Will we celebrate when someday someone stands over you and say, you know what? They knew the Lord. They answered that question. Do you believe this with all their heart? And because of that, because of their faith in Jesus Christ and because of his sacrifice, I can stand here today and say, you know what? Confidently, they've got their eternal reward. It is the most important question. It's just like the other. Who do you say that I am? Do you believe this? Do you believe in eternal life? Do you believe that God is the only way to eternal life? Do you believe that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins? Do you believe with all of your heart? So I ask you the question. And I give you an opportunity to respond. What does that look like? As I mentioned, I think God deals with us in different ways. Reveals himself to us in different times and in different methods. So I'm not going to stand here and call anybody out. Maybe I should. 
And if the fact that I thought about doing that made you nervous, maybe you should really consider a few things as we sing a song. Because the greatest thing that could ever happen to you, the greatest thing that could ever happen to you, is that you do believe. And you receive eternal life now and forever.